Hello and welcome to CAD Speaker Series podcast. This week, CID student ambassador Abila Latif interviews Priya Darshani Joshi, research officer at UNESCO's Global Education Monitoring Report team. Priya talks about the main takeaways from the 2018 Global Education Monitoring Report, the key financing challenges in the education sector worldwide, and about new goals and paradigms of bringing gender equality to the classroom. Hi, Priya. Thank you for joining us today regarding the 2018 GEM report that we just talked about at Kennedy School today. Um, regarding that, what are the outstanding highlights or the main takeaways from the latest report? What we talk about, you know, because it's about accountability in education and meeting our commitments, part of it is sort of the intellectual backing behind accountability. And we want to talk about accountability as a process that helps us achieve education outcomes. Uh, we want, uh, we, we talk about, you know, governments and, uh, um, how accountability, uh, we need to hold governments accountable for their uh, commitment to the right to education. Only 55% of countries, uh, only 55% of the countries, uh, do, um, citizens have the ability to hold governments uh, to account uh, by taking them to court. And in only 45, 41% of the countries, uh, do governments actually use this uh, right. So, That, that sort of, you know, uh, do we have the sort of capacity to hold the government to account is a huge uh, sort of highlighted finding of ours. Um, but we also have sort of, you know, built in ideas like we should have accountability systems that uh, do not uh, blame, you know, individual performance like teachers for things that are out of their control. It needs to be focused on building education systems uh, from the bottom up so that all of us are aligned in And uh, our shared responsibilities are you know, met uh, so that we can fulfill SDG 4. Could you also briefly mention aspects where there has been notable progress over the years and aspects that continue to be cause for concern? Uh, I guess I have two answers for that. One is uh, in terms of the global agenda. Um, the MDGs um, distill down the education for all agenda ju into just primary education. So it went from being, you know, a discussion of all of education, early childhood to adult literacy to just about primary education because of the funding and the momentum. What's happening now with the SDGs is that a lot of the attention has gone into learning outcomes, uh, uh, which, you know, some have criticized as being too narrow. Uh, it's a very good thing that the attention has shifted from just gaining access to school to actually what children are learning in school. So, you know, so to answer your question, uh, progress has been made in terms of, you know, getting children into school, getting girls into school. Um, the big question is whether the emphasis on learning uh, only, you know, for, and just for that uh, sort of group of uh, children or, you know, adolescents is adequate for the ambitious agenda. So like adult literacy issues or early childhood issues or, uh, you know, all the other sort of real ambitions of the SDG for agenda, whether that will just go by the, go be thrown by the wayside. Um, as a result. In terms of accountability, um, I guess uh, we see there's a lot of really interesting uh, progress in terms of, you know, there's a real call for more information. Um, there's a lot, lot of interest in sort of, you know, thinking about accountability and holding uh, actors responsible. But on the flip side, there's concerns over who are we really trying to hold accountable and what are what is our objective with, you know, trying to hold them accountable. Is it just to penalize teachers or is it actually to, you know, improve the education system and make sure that all parties, including uh, you know, governments and the international community, are actually fulfilling their responsibilities. So, two-part answer. Thank you. Yeah. 
So you mentioned in your presentation today that the share of aid to education has been declining for six years in a row. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit more about the key financing challenges in education? We we track education financing in th- three types of financing, uh, especially with the SDGs, uh, which are um, supposed to be you know government led. We care about domestic financing. You know, countries have to fulfill most of the financing burden. And uh, for instance, in African countries, as a, on average, they are actually spending 17% of their public expenditure on education. So they're doing quite a bit. What we documented over the years is that there has been some, pro- you know, some progress in terms of domestic financing increases. We mentioned the aid to education figures because you know, wealthier countries have committed uh, to help you know, countries that cannot cover um, education funding costs uh, with, you know, their aid, with aid and domestic assistance. Even though there's the commitments are there in principle, uh, they have not been met. And you know this is one of our reports' mandates to actually you know help hold them to account and actually report on this issue. The third thing that we try to cover is uh, what is happening within country. So you know if you look at household expenditure data, uh, in many of the poorest countries, uh, they the the poor are covering and paying for a lot of uh, the education costs. So governments have not been able to you know make schooling truly fee free. And uh, that really poses sort of a regressive tax on the on the poorest. So that is, uh, yeah, we have a three-pronged attempt to at looking at education financing. Thank you. Uh, looking at the summary report, we learned that the household surveys for the GEM report, and I quote here, do not capture seasonal workers, homeless people, refugees, and populations in conflict zones, which comes to around 250 million people. And this is because of a result of survey design, and it also underrepresents about 100 million people, including slum dwellers. Do you see any any data collection methods becoming possible to include these populations in future reports, especially given that next year's report is going to focus on migration and education? Um, yeah, that's a very interesting question. You know, data is really our business. So we're always talking about this. We're always talking about who is included or excluded because, you know, data and inclusion is also our business. It's, it's true that uh, part of the, the migration challenge uh, for data is about mobility. And uh, that means that, you know, you need access to information that sort of tracks people as they move along. You need to have systems in place that really factors, you know, uh, incorporates mobility into the conversation. And that is very tough to find. So, um, what we have realized is that there is no ideal data set that exists that and that sort of looks at that can give us a sense of the stocks and flows of migration um, over time. You know, like age of the population, you know, education levels of populations. So that does does not exist. And so what it means, though, then is you know, are we collaborating in the right ways to come up with better information? Uh, migration statistics has received a lot of attention. You know, fairly recently, the OECD had a migration statistics based workshop. And also, even more recently, uh, the we collaborated with the OECD, the Gem Report team uh, collaborated with, with the OECD to have a an education focused uh, uh, migration you know discussion. In this discussion, we are covering things like household surveys that might be targeted to migrant uh, migrants, uh, values and attitudes, and perception questions, uh, uh, primarily from OECD and you know European countries uh, that look at perception data around you know how, how host populations perceive of uh, migrant uh, populations. So there are lots of like, there's a smattering of data out there, but uh, the our job is to sort of really, you know, push for better coordination and better use and better coherence, you know, uh, including in, um, putting an inventory in place for what actually is out there. 
So we are going to be using a flurry of data for the migration report in particular. For the slum dweller question, I think there, there is sort of a multi-level challenge, one of which is that the, the reason slum dwellers are not counted often is because of their uh, political and legal situation within country. Um, and what that means is that a lot of the data, data sort of emphasis has been bottom-up action to enumerate slum households and get them access to basic services. What that, um, however, the problem is what that typically means is a focus on, you know, spatial mapping analysis or, you know, really like going door to door and seeing who's in the households, but with, a, with an emphasis on housing, you know, the quality of the housing situation, um, the quality of the water, situ- water, you know, and sanitation situation. And using all of that, you know, bottom up sort of act, um, actors such as the Shack and Slum Dweller International Group Coalition, they sort of use all of that information to then uh, try to lobby governments for action. But when it comes to education, which is, you know, our area of responsibility, I feel like it is viewed as something that is not the same level of um, first priority. It's not the first priority. Like that is not being pushed in the same way. So for that part of it, you find the sense of urgency missing. For education, yes. yes. Thank you. Could you tell us more about your work on gender equality and in upcoming work? Just broadly speaking, the international education community was working on making sure there was you know, gender parity in education, which basically just meant, you know, are there equal, what are the, what is the ratio of girls to boys in classroom settings um, for, you know, primary, pre-primary all the way up to tertiary education. So that was the main indicator that we were all tracking. Uh, what we were trying to do since 2016, I mean, it was high time, but we did it a little bit in 2016 was uh, whether we could get the discussion moving towards gender equality and the role education can play in um, the sort of transformation um, needed in society for gender equality. So um, in in UN language terms, it was about the interaction between SDG 4 and SDG 5 on gender equality. So what we are doing is, you know, in terms of of our monitoring, we're we're monitoring indicators beyond just parity and or even learning. We're monitoring things like, you know, women in leadership in education systems, we're uh, talking more about female role models who, uh, and, you know, sex segregated occupations and, you know, the role of female role models. Or we're talking about, um, you know, education and health and well-being, you know, the role of men in this conversation. So we're doing a range of things. And, you know, every year we do different parts of this agenda now. Uh, there's going to be a paper on uh, boys' disengagement uh, fairly soon. There's going to be a, a gender review uh, that is based on the on the accountability report which will be launched in um, March 8th in New York, which is going to be based on accountability in education. So are the budgeting processes processes, you know, adequately gender mainstreamed? Uh, what are, are we really looking at underlying power structures like legal mechanisms in place? Are we looking at how teachers, you know, how the gender bias in classrooms? Are we looking at gender bias in terms of parents, you know? So uh, we do that every year. And next year, again, it'll be, you know, there'll be a gender uh, review that is focused on migration, displacement and education. So that is the you know, the gist of our gender equality work. Very interesting. Yeah. Thank you. We're aware you need to rush and catch a train, and I'm just going to make this my last question. Um, I don't know if you want to answer this, but <laughs> what are some of the difficulties of publishing data that is difficult for countries to own? Well, I think um, at a basic level, it's not a difficult task because you know you're using conventional sources of information. Like, you know, when you use the UNESCO Institute of Statistics data to look at enrollment or completion or uh, learning outcomes or, or when you, even when you use household surveys to do that, these are transparent, transparent and publicly available data sources. The countries know where they lie. 
uh, we present the data in, in the forms that we you know, think they need to be presented. And um, in terms of uh, negative versus positive advice, you know, we try to, uh, to have a conversation that is about uh, you know, moving the needle forward. So that is how we approach uh, the writing of, uh, of these, uh, these statistics. Thank you so much. Um, it was a pleasure having you. Thank you for your time and sharing your expertise, Ria. Thank you so much. If you want to learn more about CID and our events, please visit cid.harvard.edu.